What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Some of us are outwardly successful, but inwardly feel unhappy and living a life lacking in purpose and meaning. The Necktie and the Jaguar by Carl Greer can help you discover what's important to you and how to go for it. For more information or to purchase the book, visit carlgreer.com. That's C-A-R-L-G-R-E-E-R.com. Welcome to Cracked, the podcast, the program that slays the dragons of mental health by stripping away the shame, embarrassment, fear, and stigma. Because mental health isn't something that affects just some of us, it applies to all of us. Here to shine a new light on areas of mental health that often go unvisited are your hosts, Rebecca Shaper and Sandy Sedgbeer. Hello and welcome to Cracked the Podcast, Slaying the Dragons of Mental Health with me, Sandy Sedgbeer. And me, Rebecca Shaper. Over 40 years ago, Paul Levy had a life-transforming spiritual awakening that was misdiagnosed as a psychotic break. Repeatedly hospitalized and told he was mental Ill, mentally ill, the abuse he sustained from psychiatry destroyed his family and almost killed him. But over time, he extricated himself from psychiatry and continued to unfold and integrate his awakening. And in a sweet turnaround, he now has psychiatrists consulting him. A Tibetan Buddhist practitioner and founder of the Awakening in the Dream community in Portland, Oregon, Paul Levy is a noted pioneer in the field of spiritual emergence. He's also a teacher, healer, artist, and author of several mind-blowing books that explore the nature of madness, evil, psychological and emotional abuse, the projection of the shadow self, and the existence of a mind virus that is at the root of every crisis we're facing today but which, once recognised, can help humanity wake up and bring sanity back to our society. Paul Levy, welcome. Hi, yeah, I'm just so happy to be here with you guys. Thank you so much. Paul, your book, Awakened by Darkness, When Evil Becomes Your Father, shares the heroin story of the extreme psychological and emotional abuse you received from your emotional, disturbed father, who carried a virus known as Watiko and projected it on to you. Would you share what happened to you in 1981 as a result of that trauma? Yeah, for sure. So um, to create context, you know, I was, you know, in my childhood, I was a happy, healthy kid. And, um, and I was the only child and my father um, you know, one way of understanding him, he just, the way he dealt with his unhealed abuse was instead of self-reflecting, was just to act it out on the next of kin, which was me. And so many people do that. And so he unwittingly had become an instrument for really archetypal evil um, to, you know, to enact itself through him. 
and being a sensitive kid, I was the, the recipient of that abuse. So it went from me being a happy, healthy, very accomplished kid to, to being so overwhelmed with suffering that I couldn't even live my life. And we're talking, this was in my early 20s. And it was right when I was trying to individuate and separate from my family. And so the suffering was so overwhelming that I went inwards because the only thing I could figure out that would help in any way was to just go inside my mind and to assume the position of the witness. So I began doing that hours and hours a day. And then for the first time in my life, really, you know, going deep and studying metaphysics and, um, you know, different spiritual traditions. To make a long story short, after almost a couple of years of doing that very one-pointedly, very intensively, because from my point of view, I had no choice, I had a life-transforming spiritual awakening. I got hit by a bolt of lightning in my brain. It just ignited. Within hours, I went into such an extreme and altered state in which I began to, I was having the recognition that this is a collective dream. And, and then stuff began happening in my life that was completely physically impossible, or at least according to what I had been taught. And I was so ecstatic and enthusiastic of what I was realizing, in other words, that we're having a collective dream and we can help each other to wake up. From my friend's point of view, it was like I had had this radical personality change overnight. And so I immediately got brought by ambulance and put in a psych ward. And during that next couple of years, um, I was, uh, you know, I got out of that psych ward really after three days. That's a whole story in and of itself. But there might have been three, four, five other times in that next couple of years, I got thrown in psych wards and always diagnosed as having this newly discovered chemical imbalance. And the doctors were absolutely, um, they were reflecting back that I have this mental illness. I'll have it for the rest of my life. I'll need to be on medication the rest of my life. And as they were diagnosing me, I was busy diagnosing them as just being idiots because I knew they had no idea what they were talking about because it could not have been more clear to me inside my mind that I was having a spiritual awakening. And just finally, at first I thought, oh, I really, I, I, I screwed this up by getting hospitalized. But then I began to realize, no, this was part of the awakening. It was like I was making a descent into the shamanic underworld and, and being in psychiatry and having psychiatrists have power over me, that almost killed me. That almost drove me crazy. I could not believe the unbelievable abuse. And I'm happy to talk about that. Um, but that I realize now, and for years, that was part of my, of my initiation into the darkness. What was your father like? As, sorry, Rebecca. I'm sorry. Um, I just want to know, while all this is unfolding and you're, you know, through these years of treatment, psychiatry and, you know, this incredible awakening, was your father's behavior towards you getting worse? No, no, no. It was it was consistent. I mean, he was taken over. He was an instrument for something. And and his whole M.O. was to protect himself from being exposed. But then all of a sudden, as soon as I got into psychiatry, then my father had you know, he had the authorities confirming that, you know, that I was the problem. I became the identified patient. So here I was, I was the one trying to, you know, shed light on the evil that was coming through my father, the abuse that he was playing out. 
And but all of a sudden, as soon as I got certified and and, you know, being told I was mentally ill, then he had all the cover he needed because then it's like, oh, well, Paul's just mentally ill. This is part of his mental illness. So you see, then I began to realize that there was a whole field, a non-local field that was configuring itself to protect the abuser. And here I was the one who had awareness, who was trying to shed light on the evil, on the darkness, on the abuse that was playing out. But what I didn't understand is, you know, the field phenomena of then when somebody's bringing in light and exposing or, you know, trying to expose the darkness, the darkness through its connection to the non-local field will then um, turn on the, the the bringer of the light and make them the bad person or make them the sick one or the crazy one. So you see, the whole thing was teaching me something. I was fortunate in that I was I was able to understand that something was being revealed to me of a higher order. And that's what's informed my whole body of work. Did they ever put you on medication when you went into the oh, cycle? Absolutely. Yes. That's what they did within the first minute. Yeah, and, um, and they were guaranteeing that I was going to be on medication for the rest of my life. And I remember at one point they put me on Haldol. Yes. Antipsychotic. And I remember, you know, I'm a super creative person because that's all of us. That's our nature. We're creative beings. And I remember thinking, wow, this is not an antipsychotic. This is an anti-creative. It just literally shut me down, you know. And and they were they were guaranteeing that I was going to need to be on medication till my dying breath, or I would have a, immediately a psychotic break. So a thing I want to point out, you know, so I, the thing I, I just took myself off the medication as soon as I could, because I figured out then how to navigate being in consensus reality in a way that wouldn't freak people out. And so, you know, I haven't been on medication, I don't know, since 83 or something like that. But the thing which is interesting, if I had subscribed to the psychiatrist's point of view that I was mentally ill and needed to be on medication, it would have killed me. And my whole life's work never would have happened, and I probably would have just killed myself. Or even if I didn't, I would have been dead spiritually. And from their point of view, that would have been a successful treatment. Now, there's something wrong with that picture. Okay, I've got... I've... I've had so many questions, and Sandy, I, I have to ask this, so please go ahead. Go ahead. Um, as we are saying before the program about my brother, who, quote, was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, they put him on Haldol. I fought for so long because it made him so flat. He wasn't really the person that he was supposed, he wanted to be. So finally, they changed medications. He went off of it. But he went back into those um, uh, delusions. I even hate to use that word, but that's the best word that I can explain right now. And hallucinations. I understood what they were, but the medical field did not. And I don't believe my brother at that point really understood either. If I am a listener and I have a brother who has schizophrenia, and they want to give him medication, but yet you know in your heart of hearts that he could ultimately do what what you what you have done. How would you deal with that? I mean, how would you? Right. I mean, how, how would my brother be able to tap into yeah. the yeah. what? Yeah, do you yeah. understand what I'm trying to say? So, so my my answer to that is, unfortunately, so many people in the backwards of psychiatry 
are people who have who are potentially having shamanic initiatory spiritually awakening experiences indigenous cultures would would recognize that mm-hmm. typically when somebody is called um to their higher sort of this this vocation of being a healer a wounded healer shaman teacher whatever you call it artist they you know on the surface it looks like they're having a psychotic break so it'll look exactly the same as mental illness but indigenous cultures would understand oh this person might be being called that's like typical of people who are called for a higher vocation is that their psyche their constitution of their psyche is melting down so as to be reconstituted in a, a higher coherent you know sort of more integrated fashion but in the west that phenomena of being called to be a healer shaman whatever is not recognized psychiatrists are just trained to pathologize and the person in that state is in such a fragile you know place and so vulnerable that when people of authority pathologize them it will literally make them sick which then confirms to the psychiatrist the truth of their diagnosis in a diabolical self-reinforcing feedback loop so the point is to get to answer your question if there are people in the family or the friends of the person who's going through that experience um and if they can recognize oh this person might be awakening or some deeper gift because the whole shamanic trip the archetype of the shaman is they they go mad send into the underworld but if they don't get stuck there they come back and they're able to bring gifts for the community yes That's the result of that ordeal and so if the people if the family the friends um have the recognition that the person might not be mentally ill because keep in mind every spiritual awakening i've never heard of one ever that isn't a combination that isn't precipitated and catalyzed by emotional abuse by by trauma where you know because that's the very thing that initiates the shamanic journey because then the person gets split and they go in search of trying to find their disassociated part so there's always a combination of healthy factors the part that's awakening and of the unhealthy factor of the abuse or the trauma or the wounding that was definitely true for me and but instead of focusing on the pathology which then will like invoke that person being pathological like i was saying if you actually are able to recognize the healthy part of that person that's awakening and relate to that part that helps that creates a bridge that helps them to more incarnate and step in to the part of them that is awakening yeah. Uh I'm I got one more question and Sandy you can ask. I I'm just I'm because I as I said I relate so much to what you're saying. Um okay, I'm a listener and I hear this and I've got a brother, a sister, a father, or mother quote diagnosed with psychosis or whatever and they have a gun in their hand. Can you um expand on that uh where what is that all about because you know there are stories out there that they yeah. can no okay. absolutely i understand so in other words the point is is um when somebody's having a spiritual awakening they're not they're they're it's like being in a, under a spell and snapping out of a spell so all of a sudden they're not connected to mainstream reality in the normal way and 
it's important when you recognize somebody's going through that process to take care of them, to make sure they're not going to act out destructively towards others or towards themselves, because that's a real danger. Now, underlying that destructive impulse of having a gun and wanting to kill themselves or kill somebody else is the creative spirit. Because in other words, what I'm pointing out in all of my work about evil and Wakiko and a mind virus and all of the stuff we're talking about is that the medicine is to connect with the creative spirit. That's our nature, is to be creative. But if we repress that creativity or if our culture oppresses our creativity and then we internalize that, that oppression, so then we become our own control system and then we don't express ourselves creatively, that same archetypal energy that would inform the highest, most sublime creativity gets transformed into destructive energy. So the constructive, creative energy becomes self or other destructive, and that's the danger. What that means is that the medicine is to like support the person in expressing what's going on for them inside of them creatively. That's the medicine. Well, what you said there, I mean, the way society has been going for the last however many years is that it is becoming more, it's, you know, putting more and more constraints on our creativity. I mean, you look at kids in school, you know, they're not allowed to be creative. Teachers aren't allowed to be creative anymore. Everybody has to stick to a, you know, a rigid um, curriculum. And uh, it's as if our creativity is being forced out of us. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly right. And that's when I talk about the, the Watiko mind virus, one of the major characteristics when Watiko is in the house and it's in our in the house of our species is that it's not safe to express ourselves authentically. It's not safe to express ourselves creatively. And, you know, because keep in mind the Watiko mind virus, it's a virus inside of the mind, but it actually, it's, 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 it enacts itself through the medium of the outside world. So what you just described, Sandy, the idea, or not the idea, the fact that our culture is suppressing creativity in both young kids and in everyone, that's a reflection of how Watiko works in our mind. Because when there's abuse, like for me, the very experience that catalyzed my spiritual awakening was intense abuse from my father. And to be specific, he actually, whenever I was, when I was stepping into my creative voice that was separate from who he wanted me to be, he then, for perverse reasons, felt the urge to obliterate that impulse in me of expressing myself authentically and being my authentic self and expressing myself creatively. That process of him doing that externally became internalized in my mind. That was the suffering. That was what I had to deal with, and that's the way abuse works. Whenever abuse, be it in a family system or in a society, writ large in the global body politic, gets played out, we internalize it. And then we become, that's what I meant when I said we become our own control system. And that's when we're colluding with our own victimization and our own abuse. What I'm pointing at is shedding light on that process. And even though it's showing up out there in the world, it's actually enacting itself in our mind with our participation. And that's both bad news and it's good news because the good news is that, oh my God, if we're doing it to ourselves, we can learn how to not do it. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, um, did it destroy your relationship with your mother too? 
I had an incredibly, so I'm an only child. I had an incredibly loving, close relationship with my mother, as close to unconditional, you know, whatever, like just love as you can imagine. And then as soon as this happened, when I had my awakening and got, became the identified patient and became pathologized, and my mother aligned with my father, protecting my father, then psychiatry supported you know their point of view my father's point of view that i was the sick one and basically what played out was that it completely destroyed my relationship with my mother when she died in 99 we hardly even had a relationship it was tragic and um and then when my father died in 2002 then the whole rest of my family disowned me i haven't really heard from them for 20 years because I was the one who was trying to shed light on the evil that was playing out that all of them were colluding with by turning a blind eye. So yeah, that's the tragic part. And I've had to deal with that. And it was like in the, the Petri dish of my family system, this poison got in and that's the Watiko mind virus. And you see the thing about Watiko, it's this diabolical energy and etymologically the word diabolic means that which separates. And here I was incredibly close with my mother. And by the time she died, we had no relationship. It's tragic, you know, but all of that was teaching me. That's the point, instead of feeling victimized by it. Yeah, it's something I grieve every day, but I was fortunate enough to have the realization something was being shown to me through what was happening. It was a lesson. It was, right. and that would inform my, all of my books. Yeah, it would teach a lesson. So tell us, yeah. Yeah. where does Watiko come from? How did it originate? Because it must have started somewhere. Yeah, well, okay, so Watiko is a Native American term. Um, it's a psycho-spiritual disease of the soul. And every spiritual tradition from time immemorial is pointing at Watiko. Just in, they don't use the word Watiko, they'll have a different name or a symbol system. And, you know, when I've, I've thought about in my books, I talk about, oh, what is the origin? Was there like a collective trauma or a negative ET or God knows what? And, and I'd be interested in that. I don't know anybody who knows that. But what I point out is that Watiko, it's actually recreating itself through us in this moment. So we're, you know, so the, the salient point is that it's actually um, this energy and it's, you know, it's this, this cannibalistic spirit. It's at the root of all of the evil that's playing out in the world, both within our own mind, in our relationships, collectively as a species, we're enacting it on the world stage. You know, Watiko is a collective psychosis and we're completely in the middle of a collective psychosis. I'm assuming that everybody sees that, but the point is, we ourselves are participating in its regeneration each and every moment to the extent we don't see it because it feeds off of our it's it, it operates through our unconscious through the blind spot of our mind in such a way it's a type of blindness that when we're afflicted with it and we all potentially have it um when we're afflicted with what you go we are suffering from a form of psychic blindness that actually believes it's sighted and not only does it believe it's sighted, it believes it's more sighted than people who actually are sighted, okay? So I can write, I mean, I, I have a book on Watiko I wrote in 2013. I have another one coming out in a few weeks. I have another one coming out next year. 
and I've already started on my fourth book on Huatico, it's the most important idea if we don't understand what it's showing us. And it doesn't have to be the word Huatico. For example, in the apocryphal text of the Bible, they talk about this counterfeiting spirit that apes us, that imitates us, that puts us on. And if we identify with it, this limited, wounded version of ourselves or this grandiose version of ourselves, but it, it presents to us a fictitious identity. And then as soon as we identify with that counterfeiting spirit, A, we've identified with who we're not, given ourselves away, and we've disconnected from our creative agency. And that's madness. And that's Watiko, right there in a nutshell. And so, you know, of course, I point out that that counterfeiting spirit, it's in the apocryphal text. It's not in the Bible, because I point out that Watiko was on the editorial board of the Bible. It made sure to take that reference out, because the point is, is that when we see how Watiko works in the world and in our mind, it has no power over us. And then we become empowered. But it is not a physical thing. Yeah. It's not a living physical no, thing. It's not, it's not Watiko has doesn't even exist. There's no such thing as Watiko. If people think, oh, I should be afraid of this mind virus, no. That point of view, that is the way Watiko is operating by making you afraid. It feeds off of fear. It had it doesn't even exist. There's no such thing, and yet it can kill our species. That's the paradox, okay? Because it's not separate from our own mind. Now, Watiko. It's so mind-blowing. It's a quantum phenomena. And I wrote a book about quantum physics as the medicine for Watiko. What I mean by that is that Watiko, it's a superposition of states. And what I mean by that is that it's both the source of the highest, the, the deepest, darkest evil and the highest, most sublime creativity encoded in the phenomena of Watiko. And so it's like our unbelievably vast creative spirit is imprisoned in Watiko to the extent we don't see it, we're going to enact that creative spirit destructively in which we're killing ourselves. And that's being shown by what's happening in the world. But if we recognize what Watiko is revealing to us, we then unlock the most infinite creative spirit. And that's the medicine. That's the solution for the myriad world crises. I've been screaming on the rooftops for years about this. We already have the, um, you know, the actual power. We have the gift. It's like we have this magic wand to heal what's happening in our world, but we don't know it. And, or we, we, we know it, but we don't know how to use it. And it has to do with tapping into our creative spirit. Because here's the thing, when you have the realization of your nature, right, and you recognize your true nature, you realize, oh, my nature is creative. And then so you express yourself creatively. And the more you express yourself creatively, the more you know your nature. It's a positive feedback. And that's what's available to us, you know? And if I could just say one more thing about how Watiko works, it has no power over us whatsoever. All right. As long as we are identified with our true nature, it can't touch us. But what it does, it creates a simulation of ourselves. That's the counterfeiting spirit. It offers us this limited, wounded version of ourselves. As soon as we identify with that image of ourselves, then it has us. Then it can manipulate and control us. That's why it's so profoundly important to connect with our true nature, with who we actually are. Let me ask you a quick question. Um, where are we on time? have to be very quick because then we have to go to break. Okay. I'll ask it after the break. Is that... Okay, we'll take a okay. we'll take a short okay. break now. You're listening to Crack the Podcast, and this week we are speaking with teacher, healer, artist, Tibetan Buddhist practitioner, 
and author Paul Levy. And we're talking about his books, which explore the nature of madness, evil, psychological and emotional abuse, and Watiko. And after the break, we'll hear more about whether Watiko is destroying us or waking us up. We'll be back in a few moments. The Real Conscious Connection. Ohm Times Radio. IOM FM. Ohm Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity, wellness, and personal empowerment. A philanthropic organization, their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. Ohm Times, co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm Sandy Sedgbeer, host of Om Times Magazine's flagship radio show, What is Going On? My passion is sifting through information, research and innovations from new thought teachers, speakers and researchers pushing back the boundaries of what we know about life, energy, metaphysics and the universe. I love shifting perceptions about who we are, why we're here and how quickly impossible becomes normal when we open our minds, expand our awareness and accept that the only limits that exist are those we place upon ourselves. So if you're the kind of forward-thinking, eager investigator of what lies beyond the current reality that most perceive, why not make a date to come play with me in the field of possibilities at 4pm Pacific Time, 7pm Eastern Time every Thursday, and together we can discover what's really going on. Worried about your friend but don't know how to reach out? You can say how are you or get a fake tattoo. You can ask with an app if it works for you. You can chat with them in VR. It's all good if you think you should check in. Yeah, you should. Reach out to a friend about their mental health. Learn how you can help at SeizeTheAwkward.org. Welcome back, Paul Levy. The question I would love to ask is, are you working with psychologists, psychotherapists, and in in the medical field about Watika? Yeah, no, I am. Like, it's interesting, because, you know, I have a whole community that's formed around my work, and I have a private practice and all these groups. And so many of the people who study with me 
car or a Jungian analyst or a therapist or a psychologist. And, you know, and it's funny because if my parents were alive and if I were to tell them that, you know, like they used to do when they were alive, they would just say, it would reflect back, that's my mental illness, that's my hallucination. That, and I would say, I would want to say to them, exactly, it is my hallucination, because this is a dream, that's what I'm dreaming up. So yeah, no, it's sort of like the whole whole dream of 40 years ago, me being cast in the role of the crazy one, where, whereas I now have, you know, so many therapists and healers, shamans, you know, who study with me. It's, that's great. That's great. It's interesting that there are so many authors now who are writing books um, and scientists as well who are saying that, uh, in fact, you know, we are co-creating all of this. You know, how we think, um, how we behave is co-creating what we are experiencing. You know, we're feeding the global mind and the global mind is feeding us. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's absolutely true, but you have to be careful because I know a lot of, you know, sort of new age spiritual people with the best of intentions who are like, oh, I'm creating my reality. And they're still talking out of this reference point to the ego. And that's, that's, that's an illusion. No, that's what you see through. Yeah, we're like co-creating reality with the universe because we're not separate from the universe, but it's not the egoic self that's co-creating that. It's some sort of higher self that we are actually the instruments for. And one of the things I'm trying to get across that was shown to me during my awakening in real explicit terms, actually in embodied form, is that, you know, when we just offer ourselves to be in service to the whole, then all of a sudden we become conduits to help and catalyze the deeper healing that's like intrinsic, you know, in the universe and thirsting to be actualized, we then become the instrument for that deeper healing to happen, you know. So I'm actually pointing out that even though it's unbelievably scary and people get depressed and filled with pessimism and despair with, with all the darkness that's playing out, that it's actually that something is really made available to us right now. There's an incredible opportunity because as more and more of us are awakening, to who we are as far as ourselves and in relation to each other, that we're not separate. When enough people have that realization, we can get in sync with each other and we can change the waking dream we're having. Because my whole work is based on that this is a dream. It's not metaphorically like a dream. No, this is a literal dream. And when enough of us wake up to that, that's what I began to realize when I had my awakening that got me in such deep trouble and got me hospitalized and diagnosed. But now I'm saying the exact same thing I was saying 40 years ago, but I've developed a more articulate and I'm more skillful. And But I'm basically saying, yeah, there's something, you know, that's the good news. And my whole work is trying to get this out to people. So do you think there's a connection between the COVID-19 virus and with Tico? Oh, totally. In my next book, you know, the one that comes out in a couple of weeks, the last whole section of the book is exactly about that. And you see, the thing about Watiko, it only has power over us to the extent we don't see it. And actually, our turning away from it is the very thing that feeds it. That's how we're complicit in it. And I point out that the COVID epidemic, the this this physical, actual virus, is a lower level emanation of the higher dimensional Watiko virus. And I could go way into that for hours and hours, 
But the point is there is a way of seeing, because COVID is not just a physical virus. To think that is limited. Think about how it's affecting every aspect of our lives and society and the economy and what we dream about and how we interact and what we wear and what we think about. It has multiple, multi-dimensional vectors of transmission. It's a spiritual virus. It's emotional. It's psychological. It's physical. It's it you know it's etheric. It's astral. It has all these these operational subtle bodies, and they all get channeled through our psyche. You know how we react to what's happening. Well, the psyche is the origin of Watiko. And so the point is, is that there is a way, and this is what I talk about in my next, in my new book, there is a way of actually seeing the, you know, the pandemic, COVID and the coronavirus, and to see what's happening in a way where it actually brings into focus the Watiko mind virus. And as soon as you begin to see how it operates in the world and in your mind and in your reactions, then all of a sudden you become empowered and it unlocks this incredible creative force. So what I'm basically saying is that what's happening with the COVID epidemic is potentially helping us. But if we don't recognize what it's revealing to us, we'll take a look at all the destruction that it's you know getting enacted. Can you give us some highlights in your new book about how you feel like that this COVID virus is waking us up? Yeah. Well, I mean, for an example, you know, when when the pandemic happened, so many people were um, saying to me, oh, my God, this is like surreal. And I'm like, exactly. It's even more, you know, um, it's easier now to recognize the dreamlike nature because things have gotten so trippy and so dreamlike and so surreal. You know, yeah, and then, sure. for example, for me, when COVID happened, up until then, I would normally write an article every month and I would spend the month crafting this article. As soon as COVID happened, I was writing a new article every day and I was sending it out every day. And it's an example that, yes, yeah, some people just get, you know, oh yeah, they just, you know, indulge their habitual patterns and enact their addictions and, you know, just zombie out and watch Netflix or eat or do drugs or drink or whatever. That's kind of tragic, but what's also available to us is take what's activated in us and how triggered we are and all the fear that's getting put out by the media and all the stress, and I'll chemically transform that into creativity because locked in that, those negative emotions is the creative spirit. And so I'm trying to embody that and show people that, you know, so just as some examples. Well, that's interesting. And, and at the same time, as all of this is happening and people are beginning to feel more creative and begin to notice this, we've also got this incredible situation, um, you know, with technology where anything, anything can be shared and instantly around the world. And people's minds are being hijacked by the, the very process by which that occurs, you know, the constant short headlines that are going past our attention all of the time. So it's almost as if this, you know, we're in this situation where on the one hand, we've got all of these forces that are trying to make that even worse. And on the other, you've also got people who are waking up and becoming more creative. Yeah, yeah, well, if I could just say, you see, because what I'm, particularly in my new book that's coming out, I'm trying to point out that what Tico has been articulated and symbolized by every spiritual tradition, you know, from time immemorial and by the most, you know, genius, creative thinkers and philosophers and artists 
you know, that our species has produced. Now, an example, Jung himself was completely switched on to Watika, but he didn't know the name. And he called it a number of different names, but the one main name he referred to it as is totalitarian psychosis. Now, I just want to just, you know, do a little commentary on that because Watiko, it's a psycho-spiritual disease of the soul whose source is within our psyche. And yet it has a seemingly magical ability to extend itself out into the actual physical world and somehow coordinate events so as to express a psyche that's under its thrall. Now, just think about what I just described. It's an inner disease of the mind that actually is able to express itself through the medium of the outside world. Now, think about that. That's just like a dream. You recognize the outer world is actually reflecting the inner condition of the psyche. Now, getting back to totalitarian psychosis, here's how Watiko works. It hijacks our mind. Like you guys have been saying, it colonizes our mind. It will subsume all the healthy aspects of the psyche into its service to serve its pathology. It will set up a shadow government inside our psyche, dictate to the ego, and the person then compulsively acts it out having no idea because the immune system of the psyche gets captured. You know, So it has no idea that it's actually acting out. It's like when you have a tapeworm in you and you start craving food that feeds the tapeworm, it grows bigger till it kills you. Well, but all the while you think you're feeding yourself. That's the way Watika works inside of a psyche. But that tapeworm, it doesn't want to kill you too soon or it'll suffer the inconvenience of having to find a new host. Now that inner condition of Watiko, how it colonizes the psyche, sets up the shadow government on and on. Think about what's playing out in the world, that there's these totalitarian forces that are you know, insidiously creeping over the planet and wanting to centralize power and control. That's an outer reflection of how Watiko works inside of the mind. When you see that, when you recognize that correlation, that's when you begin to recognize the dreamlike nature. And when you begin to recognize the dreamlike nature, that's when you're beginning to wake up. And that's when you're beginning to take away Watiko's power over you and you're connecting with your creative agency and power. Okay. So say Watiko starts coming over me. What, what tools would you give me to, I don't want to say block it, but recognize it and because there are people who are very unconscious and and don't recognize it say i'm one of those people who's very un unconscious yeah 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 what well here's the thing we all and you know i mean christ talks about this in the bible when he talks about oh you know something like you cast the first stone like to take a look at your own we've all acted out our unconscious you know and that's a very sort of simple way of describing who among us hasn't like at certain moments in time, every day maybe, you know, get taken over by your unconscious and acted out. That's part of the human condition. And if anybody says, no, 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 I'm switched on to Watiko, I see it, I never, I run the other way as fast as I can because that's dangerous. The idea is un until we become fully and utterly enlightened and not only knows what even that means, we all have an unconscious and so we, we all have the tendency to potentially be taken over by the unconscious and acted out. And the point is to develop a relationship with the unconscious. This is Jung's whole thing, to the ego self-axis. In other words, his whole idea of therapy 
was to connect with the inner guide, with the daimon, with the genius, with our ally, with the muse, and get into relationship with that, and that will heal you. If you don't get into relationship with that inner genius, it constellates negatively and becomes a demon. And that's Watiko. So what I'm pointing out is getting an intimate relationship with that part of us that's transcendent to our ego. That's the higher dimensional part of us. And the more you cultivate that, the more, you know, it's like when you go to sleep at night. If you actually honor your unconscious and say, oh, please send me a dream or help me to wake up in the dream tonight, the unconscious, it's just a mirror. It just reflects back your attitude. So if you have that attitude towards it, it will then send you gifts through your dreams. You know, it's exactly what I'm pointing at, that as we cultivate this attitude. And in Buddhism, the, one of the translations of enlightenment, Mahamudra, is the great attitude, also the great symbol. The symbols are the language of dreams. It's pointing at that they can, the powers that be can oppress us and do everything, you know, to like shut us down, but they can't do one thing. And that is, they, it's our attitude. It's the way we interpret and, and place meaning on the world. It can't do anything. We're the one in charge of that. We're the authority in that. And Watiko can't touch that, but it's tragic that some people just give that away. And that's when Watiko really has them because Watiko, it can literally possess a person. It's a daimonic transpersonal archetypal energy that can possess a person or a group of people or a species. And they then unwittingly become the vector to act it out. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Well, we've seen that. I mean, we've all seen, um, you know, television news coverage of people who, when you ask them why they've done a certain thing, you know, it's, they could have committed the most awful crime, but it's like they're blind to it. Sometimes they don't know. They don't know. They split off from themselves. Yeah. And the thing about what Tico, you see, it inspires us to act in ways that are against our best interests. And if people say to me, oh, you're just, what evidence do you have of this mind virus or whatever? And I just point out, well, just look at addictions or trauma, you know? And it's really interesting when you study that. And I talk about this in my next book because think about trauma. We become traumatized historically in a moment of time and we're all in trauma. I don't know anybody who doesn't have PTSD. We're a species in trauma, right? I mean, that was the source of my whole process. I was deeply traumatized by my father. And then I got thrown into the medical system and they doubled the trauma. But think about what trauma is. When you suffer from trauma, the way you try to heal from the trauma actually regenerates the very trauma you, you're trying to heal from in a self-reinforcing feedback loop. That's the pathology of trauma, okay? But encoded in that process 
of you, of, of the compulsion to repeat the trauma, encoded, hidden within it is the medicine because you're trying to consciously experience something. You're trying to discharge the energy that's bound up in the compulsion to recreate the trauma. <clears throat> and so that's really interesting. So trauma, like Watiko, is a quantum phenomena that it contains both the deepest pathology, but hidden within the pathology is the vaccine, is the medicine. So I feel like that Watiko has been around for hundreds and thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just hearing you talk about it, I mean, it's because it's all energy, right? Yeah. Is it all energy? Watiko has been around from the moment that our species has arrived right. on it. Absolutely. And But the thing is, is that it's now getting played out in our world and in our minds in a way that we can't avoid it. We can't avoid coming to terms with it because it's this revelation that's what I point out in my book coming out next year, that Watiko is a revelation. And um, it's teaching us everything we need to know. It's catalyzing the evolution of our species. If Watiko didn't exist, we would have to invent it. That's how important it is for our, our evolution. But if we don't recognize the, this, this you know, positive aspect of it, then it just assumes it's programmed robotic response of killing us. And we're enacting that. We're, we are enacting collective suicide on the world stage in so many ways, you know, as if some sort of daimonic force has taken possession of our species. But what I'm pointing out again and again in as many ways as I can is that encoded in that process, it's actually showing us something. It's unlocking our creative spirit, but only if we recognize what it's revealing to us. If we don't recognize it, then we're fated to, to destroy ourselves. I would think the awakened soul would definitely recognize it and try to be a light, uh, uh, you know, towards healing and towards the Watiko um, illness. I, I, I feel like that if enough people can recognize it, that we can wipe it out. For the you know yeah. next well, not, I wouldn't even say wipe it out because that's to me not not accurate but i would okay. say now chemically transmute it because think about what tico it's yeah. like you know all the wisdom traditions gnosticism alchemy you know they all talk about that um imprisoned within the darkness is the light the kabbalah the whole kabbalah is about this and the idea is, is that we play the role of actually freeing that that spirit of light that's been imprisoned by the darker powers. So the idea being that, yeah, it's not like we, we eradicate Watiko. No, there's nothing to eradicate. We actually plug into it and channel and transmute that energy into love, into creativity, into compassion. That's what's being offered to us. Okay, so what is the first step? So say you say someone who says, okay, I've heard what you've said mm -hmm. and I can give it some credence, now what do I do? What is yeah. the first step someone should take? Right. Yeah. Well, okay. I would say, um, you see, the way the shadow works, and the shadow, you could say, is the psychological aspect of Watiko, is think about if you're possessed by the shadow, or if you're unconscious of the shadow, what do you do? You project it out. You disassociate from it. You try to eradicate it. And energy, like think about it in a dream. If I'm in a dream and I have a shadow, and if I'm not 
consciously trying to look at it, what am I going to do? I'm going to project it out. And then the dream is going to supply evidence. People will come in the dream who have hooks who like, you know, putting a coat on a hook. They will carry my projection. They will embody the shadow. And then I, of course, will then try to destroy them, which is just an external an externalization of the inner process of trying to destroy my own darkness. So then I'm actually enacting in the world the very inner process of trying to get rid of my own darkness instead of owning it and looking at it. So why I'm saying that is the first step is when we see, oh, this person is you know, evil or has what to know or is having darkness or shadow, is to recognize, wait a second, if this is a dream, they're just a dream character. They're reflecting back to me my own darkness. And what if I actually, you know, instead of focusing, because Watiko works by having us distract ourselves by putting our energy outside of ourselves, thinking the source of the problem and the solution is outside of ourselves when the source and the solution is within our own psyche. So what I'm saying is when you see the darkness, when somebody triggers you, instead of thinking, oh, the problem is that they're doing whatever they're doing, and if only they wouldn't do it, I wouldn't be triggered. No, that feeds Watiko. But if you understand they're triggering me and what inside of me is being touched, and you immediately self-reflect, then all of a sudden you have the opportunity to see on some unconscious shadow part of yourself, and that would be the first step. And then what? So say I've done that and I see that, now what do I do? Then what? Then that darkness, that shadow, all of a sudden as you own it and you recognize it, you're actually withdrawing your projection from the outside world. And, and you're taking more responsibility for your own darkness. And interestingly, Think about a dream. If somebody in a dream is really owning their own darkness, then the dream isn't going to manifest with all the evil it does because there's no need to do that because the person is owning their own darkness. So what I'm saying is that what's happening on the world stage collectively is this dreamed up phenomena. What Tico is a dreamed up phenomena. It's manifesting the way it is with such madness and evil because each one of us are not owning our, our own our own darkness and our own light. And another way of understanding this, if I'm not owning my own creative agency, right? Think about a dream. If I'm in a dream and I'm not owning my own creative power, what's going to happen? The powers that be in the dream, the, the state, the power of the state is going to take my disowned power and use it against me. Just like we're seeing in the world today. What that means is that for each one of us, for any of us to own our creative agency and own our creative power, that actually energetically has an effect on the deeper dream field. You know, so we have this in each one of us. You see, we've been conditioned to think we're helpless and powerless and there's nothing we can do. The truth of the matter is, and quantum physics has showing us this. That's why I wrote my book. Each one of us have this unbelievably vast and unimaginable creative power and agency. And as any one of us wakes up to that and connects with other people who are also waking up to that, then all bets are off because then we can change the dream. And that's not new age woo-woo thinking. That's like the most rigorous science. Quantum physics is showing us that. Wow. I mean, it's very, it, it, it's simple, but yet complicated. Yeah. It's, it's, and one hand it is, you know, like, for example, I'm not a physicist. Quantum physics seems very complicated, but it's the most simple thing because quantum physics, and I want to announce this, is empirically showing, it's proving, and it's announcing this is a dream. 
That's what quantum physics has proven. Of course, the big controversy is, well, how do you interpret it? You know, there's no doubt that because quantum physics, everything it's, it's empirically proving is showing the dreamlike nature, but a lot of physicists aren't trained to recognize that. So that's where the controversy is. What does it mean? But the real genius quantum physicists are saying, we won't understand quantum physics until we can essentialize it in a bumper sticker or on a t-shirt. And I'm pointing out that, okay, you want me to do that or anybody to do it? What about life is but a dream? That's the essence of quantum physics. That's not complicated. That's very simple. A t-shirt. We're almost out of time, unfortunately. Um, very, very quickly, Paul, just tell us a little bit about Awaken in the Dream community. Yeah. So it's a community that's formed around my work. You know, I've been doing doing these groups for um, over 25 years. And now there's been an inter international group that started and I'm teaching a new class on Watiko, um, I think, in the February or March with, with Shift Network. And so there's more and more people who are plugging in to this. And the idea is when we actually connect with other people who are also awakening, that's when we can really activate this incredible power that we already have, but we can't do it just individually. We need to recognize we're interdependent and interconnected. And when we get in sync with each other, then we can activate the power of our dreaming. And that's what the awakening in the dream community is all about. Wow. Well, we're doing it right here. Yeah. Exactly. We're doing, yeah, exactly. we're doing it right here. Do I have one quick question? Do I have time for one? Quick, quick? very quick. Okay. Um, have there been, have y'all uh, done studies on it and the results of people who have had, quote, psychosis and have done the Watiko treatment? I'm not articulate because I feel pressed for time. Well, I haven't done, there's no scientific studies, but I work with people all the time who are and like really struggling. And when they connect with somebody who speaks the language and is fluent and has been through the experience themselves, mm -hmm. that can be a game changer. Instead of just somebody who's gotten a PhD and read books and they don't have the experience no but i personally have had know so many people who've been through seeming psychosis who actually then have been able to transmute it into the most incredible creative awakening process absolutely yeah. wow we we have to we have to close it down now i'm afraid um paul thank you so much for being with us today um, and for you at home, Paul is the author of several groundbreaking books. The ones we've been discussing today are Awakened by the Darkness, When Evil Becomes Your Father, Dispelling Watiko, Breaking the Curse of Evil, and Watiko, Healing the Mind Virus that Plagues Our World. You can learn more about all of Paul's work at awakenindhedream.com. We'll be back at the same time two weeks from now. Till then, it's goodbye from me. And me, Rebecca Shaper. And remember, there is a crack in everything. It's how the light gets in. Thank you, Paul.